I had the privilege of being in the home of Pancho and Emma. Pancho and Emma have uh, three children, and their oldest son of 11 years old has um, severe autism. And I recorded a conversation with Emma about um, what their community and family life is like, and um, particularly um, as how you know it, it's affected by um, having a child with autism. And we talked about um, their Christian faith and um, life, and it was an honor to be able to have the conversation and to spend time with their family. And I hope you enjoy listening to it. Welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, Emma, thanks for taking some time to be with me on the podcast. And um, Emma's the wife of Pancho, a friend of mine. Uh, Me and Pancho met each other quite a few years ago at a photography, like a bridal show, I think it was. And he was in um, a booth just down a ways. And he was mainly there to help out another photographer, I think. But it was neat to meet him and um, just to kind of bump into him over the years now and then. And he's uh, just a very gracious person and giving of his time and a hard worker. And um, he has uh, photography and videography. I think videography too. Is that right, Emma? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, business. It's called Poncho 3. Mm-hmm. And and then as I've talked to Poncho now and then, he's mentioned, um, well, his family some, and, um, and his wife, Emma. And um, so anyway, but... Um, Pancho is not here because he's watching out, watching the kids. So I'm just speaking with Emma. And one of the reasons why um, I'm speaking with Emma is because Pancho and Emma have, uh, one of their children has autism. And I thought, well, that'd be an interesting thing to talk about a bit. And um, so anyway, here we are. (laughs) So how have you been doing, Emma? Good. I mean, life with three children is... Interesting. Well, um, what are your children's ages? Uh, my oldest is 11, and then I have a 9-year-old and a 5-year-old. Okay. So 11 and 9 and 5. And and then what is the age of the your child who has autism? He is 11. Okay. And his official diagnosis is severe autism. Okay. I don't know if that makes a difference. But. Okay. And... Um, so how what was today like? Like Pancho talk called me on the phone, well, you know, before I got here, mm-hmm. and it sounded a little bit like it may have been like a stressful day. Is that kind of what it was? It's been like, or yeah, I mean, I think too. I'm here a lot of the time, and he's here some of the time, and sometimes we. I feel like we both lose it at different times, mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of us is more composed at any given time as well. So that kind of works well, but it's yeah. a. It's diverse every day. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when did you first, um, and then is it okay to refer to your, the, the name of names yeah. of your children? Yeah. Okay. And then when did you first, um, realize that Philip had autism? Uh, 
I think I was in denial for quite some time because I was trained as a teacher, but then you have your little person and you just look at all the good things instead of the things that aren't happening. So just around two, a little after that, I started to notice some discrepancies Mm -hmm. and I thought, well, if I just teach him really, really well, it'll be fine. And he got a little further behind. So at two and a half, we did a speech evaluation and the therapist used the A word and it was Hmm. like all the puzzle pieces fell into place. And I was like, oh, duh, (laughs) there it is. And so I started doing a whole lot of research to figure out the best way to support him. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like you were already a little bit familiar with autism um, enough to, when it was said, you know, something came to mind, just what that looked like. Huh? Yeah, but not as much as I should have been, given that I was a teacher. I definitely feel like they should do a lot more training in the special needs area because my stereotype of autism was a kid wearing a helmet, banging his head into a wall, mm-hmm. which is very uh, narrow mm-hmm. piece of information. So I then did extensive amounts of learning myself, but I wish I would have known more prior to see it earlier. That being said, it's not necessarily that I could have prevented something, but yeah, often when you know, you can better support and be there for somebody. So, yeah. Um, well, I guess like maybe just backing up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, how did you and Pancho meet each other? Uh, we met at Greenville College, which is now Greenville University. Okay. I came from Bolivia, South America. He's from Jamaica. So being that this is a small community of 7,000 people, when you arrive, all the foreign people know each other. So all the foreign people introduce you to all the other foreign people okay. so that you realize there are other foreign people. And mm-hmm. that's how I met Pancho. Okay. He was the Jamaican guy. Right. Right. And you're from South America, from Bolivia? Not originally. I'm originally from England, but I moved to Bolivia when I was five. My parents are still missionaries there to this day. So I grew up for 12 and a half years from five to 17. And then I came to the States at 17. Okay. So is the thing that brought you to the States, like getting an education? Yep. Okay. Yeah. It was between that and England and New Zealand. Uh-huh. So, and I had a friend that had gone to Greenville University and was encouraging me that direction and I visited and it's really cute it's mm-hmm. a small town and people mm-hmm. assume I came from the boonies but now I came from a city of 1.2 million mm-hmm. so it was still a pretty big not just cultural but also city to country <laughs> transition right huh well that's really interesting so your parents and they're still in Bolivia as missionaries yes they're with uh, YWAM youth of the mission Okay. My dad is Roger Holford. He works with uh, Adolescent Street Kids. They have a home for girls and a home for boys. And they have a wonderful ministry down there called Operation Restoration. Okay. And then what brought Pancho to the United States? Was it also to get an education? Uh, Yes, and his dad lives here. So he didn't grow up with his dad in Jamaica. But when he turned of age, he came up around 16, 17 and lived with his dad, and then his dad is in St. Louis, so he wanted to go to college relatively close so they could be in contact. So he then uh, went to GU, and that's how we met. So I'm thankful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you guys enjoy life in Greenville? Yes. There yeah. are so many advantages to a small town. I didn't know that I was going to love it. And when we decided to live here, because I had a teaching job, my husband had a graphic design job, my mom was like, you're going to stay there. 
And I was like, yeah, it's kind of adorable. <laughs> but now it's great. Uh, we don't even need a library card. Your librarians know you, the people at the grocery store, at the bank. It's, hmm. it's very heartwarming and friendly. And we know all of our neighbors. We do cookouts. It's, hmm. it's like old school. Mm -hmm. And it's lovely. Wow. That's, that sounds really nice. It is. <laughs> um, well, for someone who's not familiar with autism, like I'm not that familiar with it, how would you describe it? I like to describe it as, imagine if you were the world's best orchestra conductor and you're conducting but your son who doesn't play the drums is on the drums. A random person is on the violin. So it doesn't have to do with the fact that you're not conducting well. It has to do with the fact that the conducting isn't bringing about the result. So I like to describe autism as like my son's thinking brain is fine. Like he thinks and feels just like everybody else, but it's like he's in a dysfunctional device. So the connection between those thoughts and his actual body and motor planning and then mouth in the sense of speech is not connected in the same way. So it doesn't have to do with lack of cognition. It has to do more like the chip and the device aren't friends. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. So cognitively everything's clear. Yeah. That's what I believe and have witnessed in lots of children. Okay. But it's just, um, his body's not cooperating with him. Is that kind of what it yeah. is? And then occasionally the stars align and he'll say something like, I need a puke. And then it happens. Mm -hmm. But I don't daily always get that same level of functional language. I see. Mm -hmm. um, well, like what has it been um, for you, like uh, emotionally, I guess, uh, what is it like? I guess, what's it, what is it like having a, a child with autism? Well, initially, I feel like there are stages of grief. And then what's also interesting is almost all of our friends dropped us, except for our two best friends. So that's an interesting social construct. And I've talked to a lot of other parents, and that is a common mm -hmm. thing. Like, mm -hmm. we got the plague, <laughs> so mm -hmm. we don't want to be near the plague. So that was not fun, but I also found where I grew up, we, I had a lot of deep relationships. I grew up with a lot of the same people and American culture is far more shallow in a lot of senses. Mm -hmm. So I find that it's been a great help in filtering out the people I actually want to invest in versus the people I don't want to invest in as friends, mm -hmm. because then it brings about quality people. Mm -hmm. not people that are just friends with you because it's popular or cute or for status or whatever mm -hmm. the reasons are. So that was interesting. And I hope that had it been the flip side of someone else receiving a diagnosis, I wouldn't have been the friend that dropped, but I mean, you don't know until you're there. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, that was sucky, mm -hmm. but the upside being, I feel like all the relationships I have now, are deep and authentic. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's what we all want as we mm -hmm. get older. There's only so much time when you have children and all these other obligations, you either have like good friends or acquaintances. <laughs> There's not really a lot of room mm -hmm. for fakeness mm -hmm. or I don't think it's worth my time mm -hmm. personally. Does, um, 
just thinking, you know, what happens with other people? Like, is it that, um, do social like get togethers become more difficult? Is that like one of the things that makes it kind of harder to, for friends, you know, to remain friends? And I think it's, it's often just ignorance or discomfort or whatever, but I'm like really open about it. So if you ask any of my good friends, they'll, they'll just be like, so how do we, we want Phil to come to this thing. Is that possible or not? Still invite. I might be like, no, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Or I might be like, well, we could, if you move your location outside or, uh-huh. you know, so I think it's more of a having an open dialogue, but again, that requires a depth of relationship because it could be uncomfortable uh-huh. to ask certain questions. Uh-huh. I right. suppose. Huh. So that's something that make that's been difficult. I imagine in the, whole process yeah, but, but also a wonderful to, right because yeah. i like my people right. a lot and i'm not wondering if they're authentic right so I, i'd say i'm more thankful than bummed about it okay yeah. is there anything else that's been kind of an unexpected blessing that has come out of this my youngest <laughs> was a surprise baby mm-hmm. but it's been a huge blessing because he plays really well with Phil and they're close and he kids are taught to discriminate. They don't naturally Uh discriminate. So Uh it's been fun to watch that. And then again, all these people in our lives that have chosen to be our friends, their kids don't discriminate. They're just like, that's how Phil is. (laughs) So like, it's an interesting thing. Like we're taught different is bad Uh or whatever. If you start them young, they're just like, yeah, Phil Smiles doesn't talk that much. Okay. But they don't talk well, to him slow or something. Well, describe what Phil is like. Like if he was in the room with us, mm-hmm. um, you know, what would Phil be like? Uh, Phil does a fair amount of verbal stimming, and stimming in autism is repetitive things. So he might say, like, the light is on, the light is on, in attempts to connect with you. This is the amount of speech his mouth will say. So he can get all his wants met and all his needs met, but he can't have like an in-depth conversation. So he would be trying to friend you. <laughs> He'd be looking you in the eye. He has good eye contact, despite that being supposedly an autistic thing they can't do. Hmm. <laughs> and he would be excited and jumping around and whatever. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty high energy, but he is also very aware of what's happening around him. So you just don't get that same. So you might say like, hey, Phil, how's it going? And you don't get that same response back. So then what we do is we stop talking to him because he doesn't speak back. Versus now my friends just learn. They just tell him whatever, they're, whatever they were thinking or going to say anyway. And if he says something back, he says something back. Because, uh-huh. again, he's a human like all of us. He wants to connect. He uh-huh. wants to be part of the conversation with uh-huh. whatever speech he can produce at the time. Um, do you think it's frustrating for him? Yes, but thankfully we have something, um, an educational method called rapid prompting method. So he has a letter board and so he can spell functional responses. So like if you asked him an in-depth question, like what does your relationship with God mean to you? He can then spell via the letter board what his mouth cannot articulate. So that kind of bridges that gap. So he doesn't, he's less frustrated as a result. Uh-huh. Okay, so he can put, like, can he write too? Or? He can't functionally write yet. We're okay. working on it. Okay. 
but he puts letters together yep. to make words mm-hmm. and communicates that way. Huh? Yeah, and obnoxious things, yes. He, like, yeah, like one time we were doing math and he spelled mommy, you're mean. And I'm like, that's cool. Know. Finish your math paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Um, and then besides just verbally, any other kind of physical characteristics? Like in, uh, you said running around in circle before. Or? Yeah, he doesn't hand flap or do some other mm-hmm. specifically autistic traits. He used to spin things, which like if I were talking to another autism mom, I'd be like, dude, my kid is a spinner. Like it's kind mm-hmm. of a classic one, mm-hmm. but he doesn't do that anymore. So he will draw the same drawing over and over again. He likes to bike like similar routes. He kind of has some routines, but he likes biking. Yeah. He's okay, wow. ridiculously good at it. His new feet now is trying to go downstairs on his bike, which oh, I'm really? telling him is not cool, but he yeah. can do it down like three or four stairs. And now they're across the street. There's like a dozen of them. And I'm like, how about we don't? Cause I don't want to go to the ER and fix whatever you break. Mm-hmm. but he's excited at the prospect of trying to make it down there hmm. intact at some point. Mm-hmm. It's great. Hmm. So basically he's a typical 11 year old boy on a bike because <laughs> yeah. he tries to bike with no hands and like all the things right. that they do. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, what does a typical day look like as far as just your routines and things for your, your family? Uh, so we are paleo and we have been, before it was cool. So like nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the morning we do everything together. I'm sure, you know, having a family as well. So like he'll help unload the dishwasher. One kid will lay the table. We make a lot of bacon and eggs for breakfast or today we had emoji pancakes. Super fun. Mm-hmm. So the kids help out with that. We listen to music and then we do something called, um, the developmental movement program most mornings, and that takes about two and a half hours. So that is specific movement exercises that impact the brain. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing that for 14 months. So that takes up a good chunk of the morning. And mm-hmm. then we get started with school with like spelling and math and reading and science, history. And then we eat lunch. And usually in the afternoons, we have some sort of play date. Or once a week, we have piano lessons and Mm-hmm. We kind of just do life together. And if we need to clean the house, that is also a family effort. I don't clean everything. Mm-hmm. Everybody has an assigned task because mm-hmm. we all made this mess. And frankly, mm-hmm. I made the least amount of it, right? Let's be serious. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. so the developmental movement program, is, program? Yeah. is that... Um, is it like mainly for Philip or is it for all of you? Or? So I started with Philip, but I have now added the other two since the beginning of May. Mm-hmm. So it really helps with um, like emotional regulation, any sensory issues, um, speech development, cognitive development, reasoning. It's been really helpful. So for Phil, he had a lot of um, OCD that was really impeding his life. And so he was having sort of four hour meltdowns every day for like 10 months. That was not fun. And about six weeks into this program, they went down to about 10 minutes a day. And now it could be a day or two without one at all. So what's OCD? Uh, um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Okay. So like yeah. where he would like, if I say one phrase, he would just perpetuate on it until he was screaming and crying and like cry and cry and cry, or he would perpetually wash his hands Okay. or like stuff. And there was like no way to stop it. Hmm. And it was hard. Mm-hmm. It's like watching when you have a baby and they're crying and they're colicky, except like 
you know, a year from now, this will go away. Yeah. It's like that, but you have no idea how long it'll go. Mm-hmm. And they can cry a lot longer and harder when they're older. Mm-hmm. So it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, so the, um, movement, uh, de- emotion, de- developmental <laughs> movement, movement program. program, it's, um, it's for like, um, emotional control and stuff, but you're using your body and things along those lines or. Yeah. So the best way I have to describe it is you can have anxiety and I can teach you coping mechanisms for your anxiety, which is all like your thinking brain frontal lobe. Okay. When you're a baby and you're doing all these movements, your brainstem, the backside of your brain is all integrating. And if you don't do that enough, you end up being in fight or flight more. You end up having more anxiety because your instinctual part of your brain isn't processing your environment the way it should. So these exercises kind of help that part you can't speak to because it's not a logical part. It's an instinctual part. So they've grown that extensively because I can tell you like, hey, like people with OCD will say, like, I'm aware that if I keep washing my hands, they'll get raw. Like, they're, mm-hmm. it's not a lot, this is not a logical thing. Right. But the compulsion is there. Right. So these exercises help grow the parts of the brain so that they're developed to where these things become unnecessary. Is it similar to deep breathing and things like that? Or? There's a breathing portion of it. There's okay. a sensory portion of it. And then there's a movement. It's extensive. Okay. Sounds really But it's totally worth looking into if you have a child with anxiety, sleep, sensory, auditory processing. Like the reading is better, eye tracking. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. It's like my favorite thing ever. Or do you participate in it too, or is it just for the children? I have not yet, but okay. my provider has encouraged me to do All so. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so... Um, how has your community, um, the people around you that you see, well, who makes up your community? Is it just neighbors? Is it mainly church? Is it people, just all, all kinds of different people and so forth? Yeah. The main people would be, we joined a classical conversations homeschool group mm-hmm. four years ago. This will be our fifth year. And I would say those people have been my main community in terms of accepting us how we are, growing with us, inviting us places, mm-hmm. being open to all of that. So they're amazing people. I remember the first time I visited, because a lot of homeschool groups don't really take special needs kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went and I said, we visited like a preview day. And I went to the director and I was like, can we join, you know, like I want to give her an out. Cause if you don't want us, I don't want to mm-hmm. be there. And I remember her saying, she's like, sure. Or take me outside and stone me. I was like, that's pretty emphatic. So we joined mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had four amazing years with them. And this year I'm starting a homeschool group here in Greenville Okay. for classical conversations. Okay. So it's not in Greenville. It, it wasn't. That was in Maryville, but it will be this year, right. starting August 20th, and I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yes. So those would be my main people. Neighbors here are amazing. Bank people, grocery store people. Again, that small town, they know who we are. Mm-hmm. So they're friendly and courteous at all times, really. Um, what's like the thing that from other people that you appreciate the most um, you know, that, yeah, that's the most, the most of a blessing to you. 
I encourage people to just be normal. Okay. Like if he's having a meltdown and I'm still smiling, you're like, oh, clearly this is normal. <laughs> like uh-huh. instead of stopping or staring or talking to me and pretending he's not there, uh-huh. you know, like just be normal. Just because he can't reply doesn't mean he's deaf or dumb or a whole series of assumptions people make. Uh-huh. Right. So be normal. So I appreciate it when people talk to him, even though they know he can't respond necessarily uh-huh. functionally back when they just treat us like everybody else. Mm-hmm. We're not like, a, oh, look at that elephant. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very nice. What does Philip really appreciate as far as contact? Is it words or physical touch or something different? Or It's a great question. Uh, he likes to snuggle and hug and things mm-hmm. like that. But I don't know. He also likes to go for walks. He also yeah. likes to play ball. He also really loves to swim. Yeah. Yeah. Well... What does um, the Christian faith look like in your lives? And I'm just, um, just from knowing uh, Pancho, mm-hmm. just I'm assuming that you guys are involved in, yeah. you know, the Christian faith and mm-hmm. so forth. So I guess, um, um, well, if you want to start with how did um, you get, well, your parents were missionaries. So <laughs> I was going to say, how did you get started in that? And um, I get, as a child or yeah. Okay. Yeah, Billy Graham Crusade when I was five. Okay, five was that in England? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, Billy Graham Crusade. Um, well, what um, what does your Christian faith look like as far as like how you practice it, um, how um, you've grown in it over the years, or just some, whatever else might come to mind? I think it's more tangible and more. So I feel like being a Christian in the third, first world is different than the third world. In the third world where I grew up, like people literally had no food and were praying for God to provide something. Hmm. They couldn't go to a neighbor because their neighbor had no food. Like here we have a lot of fail-safes. Like if something happens and I have mm-hmm. no money, like my neighbor would probably help me out. There we're talking about no fail-safes and watching that kind of like faith come mm-hmm. through. Hmm. Then moving here, and it's kind of a God-in-my-pocket philosophy, was... Hmm a pretty significant transition for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to like having Philip in first world culture, it's like, if you obey God and you do well, you'll be blessed, whether that's financially or that you have nice people in your life or you don't get cancer or whatever. I feel like they kind of promote that. And I would say having Philip is more what God called us to like he wasn't like become a christian and it's easy it's more like uh become a christian and keep continually growing and helping those around you the widows the poor you know your friends those that don't have so it's about and it's not that action safe i don't believe that but saying like how do you tangibly walk your christian faith when it's hard mm-hmm. not when it's everything's great it's so easy mm-hmm. so i've tried to be Yes, I'm on the receiving end of help, but when those moments aren't needed to be on the giving end of help, whether that's somebody who had a relative pass, whether that's a new mom who had a baby and we take a meal, I'm always thinking like, yes, I have Phil, but what are ways that I can still help that don't aren't too complicated maybe in conjunction with like, let's bring Phil to meet your new baby. Mm, let's wait till Pancho's on his lunch break. <laughs> let's take you a <laughs> meal and a card and some flowers, mm-hmm. you know? And so... 
being more the hands and feet of Jesus and loving people where they're at and serving them in the ways that we can because God didn't call it to be pretty and rosy Mm -hmm. and easy. And I think that Christians forget that sometimes. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law once said he's a pastor. Like, if I'm not in conflict, I don't know that I'm following God enough. Like, if something isn't in the way or impeding me from, like, helping somebody. And I thought that was a good way to put it. Like, are we actively seeking or are we doing what feels nice and, you know, going to church on Sunday? And (laughs) I think there's a difference. Hmm. So um, you mentioned um, Bolivia, where it's kind of more like you're forced into a situation of, like, depending upon God or or not, um, because that's just the way of life there, I guess. So um, I guess it's... um, more opportunities to see if, you know, God really comes true, if he's true to his word and faithful and so forth. Yeah. There's a lot of space between like my ability to parent and then God (laughs) and then Phil, Mm -hmm. you know, because when you're out, that's when God steps in. Mm -hmm. But if you're never out, do you ever allow God to step in? Mm -hmm. Hmm. I think it's tricky. Mm Mm-hmm. And your your brother in law he mentioned well he he said um, if like serving God's not hard then there might be something wrong um, as in like maybe life is too comfortable and more than it should be like there should be some obstacle to get over um, since maybe serving people is you know loving people is not easy and comfortable you know just by means because it's sacrifice, I suppose. So, you know, and if God's love is unconditional, mm-hmm. shouldn't we be showing that to other people? Mm-hmm. Not only like, Oh, you're feeling nice today. I'll come visit. Oh, everything's going well. Let's be friends. Like mm-hmm. that's not, that's just convenience. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, um, and then as far as serving God, you know, you mentioned like other people, but just, you know, like your main service is, you know, which probably takes up a lot of time. It's just right here in your family with your husband and children and then fill with, you know, special needs and, you know, depending upon God and so forth like that, I suppose. Yeah. And I help um, other families with autistic children. Okay. As much as I can, mm-hmm. as much as my schedule allows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, is that, um, how, how are you in contact with them? Well, I started out on Facebook on different groups and then I started a business called Autistic Able and it's specific lesson plans for that educational spelling method called rapid prompting method that I was describing earlier. So I've been doing that for a year and a bit, but I've kind of hit pause on that while I start the homeschool group because that's what we need at the moment for our family. Mm-hmm. So once that's up and going, I'll come back to this because it's sort of a specialized area. Mm-hmm. But And then through that, a lot of people have contacted me, and I've been on the phone several times, and people send me videos and whatever. Mm-hmm. If I can help you, great. Yeah. Um, is there anything, that partic- anything in particular that comes to mind as far as just the challenging thing at this point in your life as far as, you know, wanting to 
you know, raising Philip and just doing everything else you're called to do? And, um, or is it pretty straightforward and it's just a task that you have? Or is there anything in particular that is kind of a challenge right now? Philip is getting bigger. Yeah. And that's a challenge. And there's still a lot of stuff we need to work on. And I always had this belief growing up that if I worked really hard, I would get whatever outcome I was going toward. Uh-huh. And uh, that is not necessarily a truth. Because huh. uh, we work really hard and Philip has advanced a lot. Uh-huh. But I really don't know what that will look like uh-huh. when I die. Mm-hmm. So that's something I think about a fair amount. Like, how independent can I help him be? And then what is in place once I'm not around? Hmm. Okay. So, so that's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. And not just my child. There's a bunch of other autistic children that will be in need of long-term care of some kind. And there's abuse in a lot of those situations and there's like financial sustainability. There's a lot to think about. And then it overwhelms me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you've had to kind of go through a shift in thinking um, from thinking that if you just try hard enough, you'll get to where you need to go and, you know, you accomplish what you need to accomplish to like, well, maybe the world's not going to be right in this area and you just have to respond to it in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of like in sometimes the the difficult part for me and just different things is just that confusion, like going from that, how should I understand this situation? You know, because it's different than how I thought it was going to be or something along those lines. And I'm an eternal optimist. Yeah. So, my husband is more of a realist, so sometimes that's really helpful because yeah. <laughs> my plan is rainbows and fairies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, how have you, um, I guess we've been kind of talking about this already, but um, what, you know, what is most important to you when it comes to what life is all about? Um, has that changed over the years, your understanding of it? Or, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, I'm a serious extrovert. Mm-hmm. And life has always been about people and relationships for me. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's still the case because with Philip, making sure that he can spell using rapid prompting method means that he has a form to be educated and communicate because let's say I didn't know that he was cognitively intact. Mm-hmm. What kind of quality of life can he have if he's not exposed to good literature, if he's not exposed to sharing a book with a friend and discussing it, if he's not able mm-hmm. to read the Bible and learn like quality of life is really important, but you can only have a great quality of life. Like education is a huge part of that and relationships. Mm-hmm. So I would say that my focus for my son is, yes, I want him to be like really well-educated. I want him to have relationships, but then we work a lot on that motor planning piece because that's tricky for him. Uh So maybe he knows calculus, but if he can't dress himself, what's the point? Uh So while he is at grade level, he just finished fifth grade and everything. There are things that we're still working on for him to have more and more independence, which is getting better. But 
I want him like the next thing I need to tackle is like cooking. Okay. Really? Cooking. Because he dresses and bathes and puts stuff away and does chores and laundry. But at some point he'll have to cook for himself in learning in the motor planning area progresses slower for him than it would for somebody else. So I need to start thinking about those things now because like 20 is only nine years away. And it took me like five years for him to do basic chores and Mm -hmm. self-care, which is fine. It's not like he's 20 and it's over, but Mm -hmm. I want to be intentional about starting to teach those so that he is, has a level of independence because with that comes a sense of self-esteem and pride. Mm -hmm. Like we've all seen the two-year-old try and put his own shoes on, right? Like it's just innately who we are. We want to be able to do things for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And again, he's human. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like everyone else, so he wants to be able to do his own stuff without me helping him. Mm-hmm. Um, and what? Uh, how did you say his reading was, or did you say like about how, how his reading he... level is fine? He's at grade level. Okay, good. And it's he's not hugely impressed with it all the time, but I okay. make him do it anyway. Yeah. Discipline is a big element of our lives. Like you don't always have to love what we're doing, but we have discipline to do it. I'm not a huge fan of dishes. But I don't not do them. Right. So, yeah. This is life. Embrace it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Emma. Is there anything else that you'd like to bring up or talk about? Uh, I just think that there's hope for everybody and we're always growing. So I think to say that anybody is stagnant is absurd. Mm-hmm. And the only way somebody could be stagnant is if nobody's teaching them anything. Mm-hmm. or helping them move from one place to the next. And I think that is a mindset for some people, special needs or not, that growing is important. So mm-hmm. grow, decide to grow, even when it's hard. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess especially for um, like a adult people who, you know, that's kind of like a personal type of, you know, becomes more their... Um, they have to kind of desire that, I guess. Uh, yeah, and do it. We're never too old. We're never too, whatever excuse you have, reevaluate that sucker. And yeah. think about who do I want to be five years from now, ten years from now. Yeah. And hmm. strive for something. Well, do you um, want to share your um, your Facebook page or any, or website or anything? Or I mean, it's on pause for now, but it's okay. autisticable.com, or you can reach me through that if you... Want to learn anything about autism, basically. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Simo. Thanks for having me. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life. Mm